Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The Call of Nature. We are a grassroots podcast about nature and wildlife here in the UK and we're for everyday people just like you and just like me. This is episode 8, it's our season finale. We've had a great time making this first season and we've got some good stuff coming up in the show today. First of all, we are, we have an interview that we made the other week with a family from Southwest London, uh, Navia, Neha and Judy, and they are a family who just got into nature and they're telling us about some of their some of their experiences. Then we've got me telling you guys a bit more about some of our common seagulls um, that we see and how to tell the difference between one and another one and how there's no such thing as seagulls, but I'll get onto that. We've then got an interview with Reese and Ella from Barry, and uh, they're telling us about a rare spot that they had on their holiday. Next up, we've got a chat that Pete and I had with Wayne, um, where he tells us about his time working on a nature reserve and how he applies some of the stuff that he learned there uh, to his new job. So I'm joined today by my fabulous and, well, I, I wouldn't, they're not glamorous really, but they are fabulous. My co-hosts, uh, Pete and Gareth. Hi chaps, how are you? Good, thank you, mate. Yeah, good, thanks. Great. Have you had a nice couple of weeks? Yeah, it's been nice. The weather's taken a bit of a turn, but it's, I've turned to that proper British person that I just realised this year, whatever the weather's done, it's not been to my liking. So I don't know if that's a sign of becoming properly British and old. Old, I think it's a sign of becoming. <laughs> oh, actually, before we get started and talk about your, your highlights that you've had um, with nature, uh, maybe, uh, Gareth, you could read us the most fun part of the podcast, which is our disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in the call of nature are those of whoever expressed them and do not reflect those of any other organisation or agency. Excellent. So we can come, we can uh, start swearing and saying whatever we like now. Pete, have you had a good couple of weeks? Yeah, really good, thanks. I've been out loads, been to Dartmoor, been to various other places, seen a lot of great nature. Uh, but my highlights... Uh, have both been messages off Instagram. Uh, the first one was from uh, Gareth, who is GDJ Kirby, and it was a, a moving conversation I've had with Gareth. Uh, he sent me a message that he wanted us to that he wanted to, to share with our other listeners a positive message that uh, he was made redundant at the beginning of the COVID thing. He suffers from bipolar disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. So he said he had a choice: one was to spiral downward into depression, the other was to get his boots on go out into the countryside. And Gareth tells me he's been doing that most days. I've seen loads of great pictures of his of his being out and about. He says he's really on form and on top. And and I and I, I know that nature has played a big part in that. So that was a really inspiring thing to hear about. So thank you so much for that, Gareth. And I'm sure other people have found the same. The other message this this will interest you, Chris. This is from Haley, who's Moo and Me. That's uh, M with three O's, Moo dot and dot Me, uh, also on Instagram. So I challenged our Instagram followers to see if anybody like the woodlouse you told us about last week could drink through their mouth and their bum. Uh, Haley said, no, she can't. But she did tell me that tortoises sort of do. So did you know that? I, did, I didn't know that. I didn't know no, that. No, neither did I. So they can drink. I've, I've looked, uh, I've actually done some research uh, uh, this week, and it turns out they can sort of they they do drink, but but they could they also are believed, and that's the word uh, that I read that they can take 
water in for a vent in their tail, but it's only believed. So if you could go one of you and find out whether they can or not, that'd be great. I'll go and ask a tortoise. <laughs> Do that. So uh, yeah. thank you, Gareth and Haley. Oh, yeah. Two great messages. Yeah. I hope Gareth is doing okay. And speaking of Gareth, what, what's been your nature highlight, Gareth? Well, I'm not sure I can beat that. That was an amazing story. Um, but I'm actually, mine was today. I'm going to WhatsApp it over because I took a photo of it. So it should be arriving with you boys shortly. Oh, so right. I was in the garden and I've got a rose bush that's been absolutely, absolutely stripped. But I don't mind because, you know, that's nature. It's, but I was intrigued to find what was doing it. Mm. And I found a leaf that had the culprits on them and it was absolutely covered in them. So it's a, yeah. it's basically a sawfly called the rose sawfly. And you see them, the actual fly in the summer, and they basically look like sort of black flies, but like someone stuck an inflated orange or yellow balloon underneath their bums. <laughs> right. um, and these are the larvae, and they just absolutely munch through the rosebush. But there's this leaf here, and there must be, I don't know, on both sides, there's like 20 little caterpillars on it. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Gareth's just sent her a picture, and uh, yeah, they're beautiful little things, aren't they? They are. They're really going for it. Yellow and green with all these black spots. And it reminds me of people trying to get to the bar because there's not like enough space. They've all just like got themselves an elbow or a head in, whatever they can, to get a bit of the leaf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're beautiful. Oh, cool. Thanks for that. My highlight, I think, of the week also came via uh, via WhatsApp um, from one of my friends who's been up in hol- on holiday up in Scotland. He, his family live up in Scotland. And uh, they were both up there and they put a video on a, 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 on a WhatsApp group. Uh, he's called Alan. Sorry, I, my, my phone's buzzing now because I, uh, I turned WhatsApp back on. Uh, I'll throw it over here. There we go. And yeah, Alan's wading out into this, uh, this shallow sea lock and it's dead calm flat. And he, he picks up a, this yellow starfish about as big as your hand. And uh, he's shown it to my other friend, Ian. And he, he flips it over and it's all soft and you can see it all the tiny, tiny little legs on the bottom of the sort of the five points of the star. And uh, it's all soft and it's just really nice that he just sort of waded in and plucked this thing out and then shared it on shared it on WhatsApp so we could all see it as well. Uh, I just thought that was really nice. Again, I'll, I'll have a word with him and see if I can stick the video on uh, on our social media as well. Great. Lovely. So our first story that we have is a really, really nice one. It's uh, about a family in southwest London who decided that the way that they were going to deal with lockdown um, was to get up uh, very, very early and see the sunrise in their local park, which is Richmond Park. And they had a chat with Pete and Gareth about how doing this, um, they'd become much more connected with nature and how nature has actually changed their lives through do- through doing this uh, uh, in lockdown. As regular listeners to The Call of Nature will know, I'm always very excited by the conversations that we have with listeners who've contacted us. Uh, and I'm double excited today because we're about to speak with a family who've got into nature during lockdown, which is great. We're about to speak with Navia, Nehar and Julie. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Okay, so Julie, thanks for coming on the show. And you mentioned that during lockdown, you sort of had this sort of epiphany moment where you sort of discovered nature and it really helped with you getting through lockdown. Um, could you just describe it a little bit, please? Yes. So when lockdown started, uh, we fell a little bit out of routine. Uh, the first one week was good. We were quite on target. 
But as time passed, exams were cancelled and children had no school. So we lost a sense of routine and we were watching TV till quite late at night and waking up really late, which made me feel very uncomfortable and upset. So one day, Navi and I decided that we want to go and see the sunrise. And it was very hard to wake up that early in the morning, but we did. And we went to see the sunrise and it was just the most beautiful thing. And after which we've, we've not looked back, you know, it's been just the most phenomenal three months for us where we've gone out every morning and seen the most beautiful things that were, I don't think we would have ever seen otherwise. So it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, lockdown has given us the opportunity to be out and about and connect with nature that much more. And you've created this amazing Instagram account that's got all these photos you've taken from your early rises, which is at navs uh, underscore 5am on Instagram. And just tell us a bit about that. Yes. So when we went early in the mornings, we also met like-minded people, people who really woke up early to just enjoy nature and be around with the birds or, you know, just come to see the sunrise, spend a few peaceful moments. And one of uh, them recommended that we start an Instagram account and, um, That led us to start this account and it became an extra incentive for us because we could record our uh, what we saw and how we felt in every picture. Uh, You know, it was taken through an iPhone, so it's not perfect, but it is just what we felt and what we loved and what we liked so that those pictures represent that. And it just feels like a creative outlet as well. So it was brilliant, you know, it just fitted in really well with our early rises and, you know, our outings. It's fantastic you've got a connection with those photos as well. And I've got to say there must be a natural talent in the family fit because it's when you look at them, you it's hard to believe they're taking the mobile phone, but they were, and it's, they really are fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're, they're tremendous pictures, Julia. I was also surprised to learn that, that they were taken on a smartphone. Uh, so uh, uh, congratulations on those. And uh, that Instagram account again is narvs underscore 5am. That's November, uh, what's a... Mm, that didn't go very well. So that's N A A V S underscore five A M, and I really recommend following uh, following that profile. It's great. Now, I've got a question for you, Neha. First of all, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us on. And would you mind telling everybody how old you are, please? Uh, I'm turning sixteen this weekend, actually. Well, happy birthday this weekend. That's great. I didn't know that. Congratulations. Thank you. So, Neha, you've been obviously a part of your family getting into nature during this period. How do you feel it's benefited you and your family? Well, firstly, it gave us a really solid sense of routine, which was something we definitely needed. Um, When schools shut, we were waking up late and there was absolutely no routine. Um, My GCSEs were cancelled. I had absolutely no motivation to study or anything. I think it really helped us get into the swing of um, having an actual routine um, in a practical sense. Um, In terms of well-being, it was a really lovely thing to do. Um, It's been really, it's been a really good experience waking up every morning. And it's something that we all really look forward to um, because we've made such a connection with the animals, especially the waterfowl that we wouldn't have made if we hadn't been spending so much time with them. So um, it's kind of like having pets, but wild pets. So that's been a really lovely thing to do. It also 
gave us a sense of purpose and accomplishment when we would feed the animals. It makes you feel like you've done something and it's not even 6am yet in the morning. Um, So that was really fulfilling. Were you surprised at the sort of wildlife you were seeing in the park? Obviously, I assume you've been there before, but there seems to be all manner of things out at that time in the morning. Was that surprising for you? Well, it was surprising to see how they were behaving because earlier on, sure, we'd gone to the park and we'd seen the waterfowl and the deer and the birds, but we hadn't really observed them or spent time with them. So it was like seeing them for the first time because we wouldn't notice how they'd clean themselves or the way they'd eat or how they'd show affection. So it was really lovely getting to know them again, really properly. So that was something new. And seeing some of these really interesting behaviours. Yeah. Hey, Navia, thanks for coming on. Thank you. And how old are you? Well, I'm eight. So you've been out seeing all these things that loads of people spend lots of their lives trying to see, particularly some of these behaviours they're showing. What's been the favourite thing that you've seen over this time? Well, I enjoy seeing the waterfowl in the morning as they're more sociable when there are less people out and about and that allows them to trust us more and and as we do so we can see over time how the goslings and the ducklings feathers change and go and are darker when they are older and how the fawns grow up too and the fawn features also change as they originally have lots of hair on their chest but as they grow older they, their coat is le- is shorter. And the Kooten Moorhen's feet are massive, and I wouldn't have known that unless we had been going out. And I, and even when the coots are so big, they're still fed by their parents from, mouth, from their mouths, which is cute to see. And well, whilst we are out and about, I've also seen new things that I wouldn't have as we found it as we saw a heron caught a live fish and it was wriggling down its throat and we even saw a pike grab a duckling which is most unexpected uh, as pikes aren't usually so close to the edge of the pond it's amazing Navia the way you're speaking and describing things it's exactly how ecologists do it I think there may be a future coherent ecology for you (laughs) (laughs) But that's great. I've, I've seen the photos. I think I have to say I'm going to point out two of my favourites. Which is, I think you mentioned hey, there's one of a heron scooping up a fish, which is brilliant. And and you said you saw the heron eating the fish as well, and you could see it going down. Yeah, and well, we also saw we also found a dead little owl. Yeah, on the side of a tree, and yeah, and sunrises are are really beautiful on certain days, which is are aimed to really see and some other days are mist it's misty and there's when you look around you there's just a ring of mist and it's pretty cool i tell you what it sounds absolutely brilliant and i think you've been making a lovely um uh, montage of all your experiences there which will last a lifetime so thank you for talking about that yeah well done navia that was excellent so, Julie, before we go, I know you're an educator from when we were speaking before. Yeah. So would you please tell us what positives you think this, as an educator, this experience you're having now is, is bringing to the children? I think that, you know, uh, 
parents worry about children being able to understand what they read or being able to relate to what they read and the best way to do it is to be out and about and experience things uh you know it helps with your creative writing because you are actually able to describe that much more because you've heard you've seen you've smelled things outside so it just helps with being able to be that much more descriptive it helps with comprehending text it helps with just a feeling of well-being or creating their empathy that compassion for uh you know animals and trees and people around you uh you know observing behavior uh so it's just made children my children more calmer more you know they they want to do things on their own they can decide things on their own and it's just the most beautiful thing that anybody can do to uh you know to educate their children and i would say that if uh, you know you want to do table work you know academic work it should be 40% and 60% should be being out and about and actually creating that background to be able to do that 40% that much more efficiently and happily yeah well i know i would have agreed with you when i was a child uh, and it's great to hear a professional put it that way because that's certainly what what me and the guys believe so it's been lovely chatting with you all Uh, it was a, it's a really uplifting story and you did great girl so well done and thank you all so much for coming on today yes thank you that was, that was really inspiring um to hear your stories today thank you thank you so much thank, thank you. you well i really enjoyed listening to that chat that you guys had it made me think actually how um how nature sort of gets up before humans doesn't it yeah. so <laughs> there's a lot of benefits to to getting up really early because you have it all to yourself you know and i guess that's what they were doing the other thing i really enjoyed about that was uh that there were some young people talking passionately and confidently about the nature and wildlife that was in their local surroundings um which for an old fart like me um uh really fills me with hope for the future so that was really cool The thing that really struck me about the young people as well was that Navya and Neha had a really interesting eye for how they describe things. They often noticed the behaviors of the animals they were seeing and a lot of their photos show really interesting behavior as well. And this noticing subtle differences in something that might look the same sort of links quite nice to Chris's next piece about goals. Everyone thinks there's just loads of loads of different seagulls and they're all pretty much the same, but they're not. And Chris is about to tell us why. Actually, there is no such thing as a seagull. This is something that I've been told a few times uh, when I've been hanging around with uh, certain types of bird watchers. And the annoying thing about being told that is that they're actually right. There are about 50 species of gull worldwide, and there are only about six that are regularly seen in the UK. But I was set a challenge by Pete and Gareth and that was to uh, talk a little bit about something that all of our listeners can go out and see and tell them a little bit more about it so what i've decided to talk about is gulls specifically the three main urban species of gull that you find here in the uk and how you tell the difference and my challenge to you as listeners is for you to go out today or tomorrow find a gull or a seagull and uh, work out what type of gull it is firstly a little bit about seagulls and the city so there are more and more gulls moving into the city uh 
cities are brilliant places for them to breed on rooftops and factory roofs and things like that. But they're also great sources of food, particularly when big open landfill sites uh, sprung up in the UK. And while urban populations of gulls uh, are going up, actually the more traditional places where they used to nest and feed by the coast are actually declining. And there's lots of possible reasons for that, but I won't go into that just now. Now, the three species of gull which I want to talk about are the herring gull, the lesser blackback gull, and the black-headed gull. Um, they're all chip stealers, um, ice cream ruiners, etc. Um, but they won't carry off your pet chihuahua. That's a bit of a myth. Something made up by uh, lazy journalists who work for crap newspapers, I think. Um, my opinion, of course. Now, if you don't see one of these three, when you're trying to ID your first gull, and it's something else, then that's brilliant. It means you've seen a less common species. Um, and also, a little thing is uh, to mention is about juvenile gulls. Now, gulls live for a very long time, um, 20 or 30 years, some species, um, and they have an extra stage of feathers compared to most birds. Most birds go from like fluffy feathers in the nest down um, straight into their adult plumage, uh, but gulls don't. They have an intermediate phase where they're kind of black or brown, speckly, uh, mainly brown, really. Um, and they take a while to get into their adult plumage, the white that most people associate with them. And this can take a long time, and it's really tricky to ID juvenile gulls. And certainly if you're new to uh, to looking at nature and trying to identify things, I wouldn't waste your time. Uh, go learn something else. It's hard work. Um, so I'm talking about adult gulls. So the first thing to look at is probably the size. Herring gulls and lesser blackback gulls are big. Um, you know, bigger than the chicken. And uh, black-headed gulls are probably smaller than the chicken. So that is your first thing to look at. Other things to look at are their feet. Herring gulls have pink feet. Uh, lesser blackback gulls have yellow feet. And your black-headed gulls have sort of an orangey-red foot. So another thing to look at is probably the head. Uh, herring gulls and lesser blackback gulls have white head with a with a large yellow beak, um, whereas your black-headed gulls have well, you might as you as the name might uh, suggest, black heads. They actually look a bit different depending on whether it's summer or winter. Summer, when they're in breeding season, they have this kind of chocolatey brown hood, which pretty much looks black from a distance. And in the winter, they have a white head with a little black patch on the side. The third or fourth, I can't remember where I am, thing to look at is the colour of their backs. Now, herring gulls have a pale grey back. Black-backed gulls, lesser black-backed gulls, have an almost black back. And black-headed gulls have that kind of pale grey as well. And after a while of looking, um, it will become more familiar to you. In this day and age, of course, you can just Google things, but those are the three species to have a look at first. Herring gull, lesser blackback gull, and black-headed gull. Do a Google image search and uh, see if it matches what you see. But it's also nice to start building up that knowledge of, uh, of the natural world around you. So here's my challenge to you, the listener. The next time you're out and about and you see a seagull, try and ID it. Look at its legs. Look at its beak, look at its size, look at what its head and its back's like. There's no prize, there's no prize for us. Um, there is a prize, of course, and that is uh, learning, 
for starters, but also being a bit more connected, a bit more aware of the uh, of the natural world around you. And also, you can show off that you know how to ID different sorts of seagull. Oh, and if anyone tells you that there is no such thing as a seagull, I've got a bit of advice as well. I would say, tell them that you know that, but you like calling them seagulls because it's a better name. And if they're cool, they'll probably agree with you. And if they're not cool, it'll probably annoy them. And, well, that might be a fun thing to do. (laughs) So have fun out there IDing those seagulls. Good stuff, Chris. Uh, and, and I'm with you. Uh, I've, I've heard uh, in nature enthusiasts before sort of telling people off saying there's no such thing as seagulls when a person said something about a seagull. I don't really see the need for it. Uh, you don't ever hear anyone saying there's no such thing as eagles if somebody says they've seen an eagle. Uh, and why shouldn't we have a collective term for gulls anyway? I think we should embrace the term seagulls and, and, and us nature fans We shouldn't be putting people off. If someone's showing an interest in something, we shouldn't be telling them they've got it wrong. We should be encouraging to find out more, just like you have, Chris. So, uh, yeah, well said, mate. And I've got to say, I can be a pedant with the best of them, as you you well know. And even I'm a bit like, (laughs) really, I think we should let seagulls slide. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, seagulls, I I didn't mention it in the thing, but it is the nickname for the greatest, uh, the greatest football team in the Premier League as well. In the Brighton, uh, the Brighton area, you mean? (laughs) The greatest Premier League. I'm not even sure about in the Brighton area. (laughs) They're definitely (laughs) the best team in the Brighton area. Yeah, time to move on. Yeah. With episode eight of The Call of Nature being the season finale of season one, we've tried to save up some really special stuff. And one of the things we've wanted to do right from the get-go was get some enthusiastic children on the show uh, talking about nature. And uh, Gareth and his friend Reese and his daughter Ella have all been chatting about some really exciting nature. Okay, today on The Call of Nature, I'm delighted to be welcoming my friend Reese and Ella, who had a really exciting spot when they were on holiday. Hey Reese, hello Ella. Hello. Hello. So Ella, I think you might be the one who saw it. Can you explain what you saw and what, what what did it look like? So you know zebra pattern. It has a zebra pattern on its wings. That's oh, amazing. And where did you see it? Um, on the holiday wall of our little cottage. So it's literally you walked outside and you saw it on the wall of the cottage. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember where we were? What part of England? Uh, Scotland. Scotland? No, not Scotland. <laughs> Somerset. Somerset. <laughs> so, so, so what did you do then, Ella, when you spotted it? Um, we were quite excited, weren't we? we? Yeah. We saw it on the wall and it was stood out an awful lot, didn't it, with its bright yeah. bright colours. Um, and we didn't really know what, what moth it was, did we? We'd never seen yeah. anything like it before and... You know, we'd never seen any, anything like that where we're from in, in, in South Wales. We were very intrigued to what it was. I put our listeners out of their misery. Um, I got this image WhatsApp to me of this moth, and it was a Jersey tiger moth. And I'm really into moffing, as are the rest of the guys in Call of Nature. And none of us have ever seen this. And it's a nationally scarce species that used to be restricted to the Channel Islands and the southern coast. And it's been gradually moving north of climate change. But Somerset is sort of right at the northern extent of where you see it. It's a nationally scarce species. So we were really excited and really jealous about what you've seen. <laughs> well, once we once we found out what it was and, and that it was a scarce species in that part of the world, 
we were very, very privileged, weren't we? We were really excited that we'd seen yeah. something that not lots of people had seen in that part of the world. And in particular, when, when you yourself said that you were very jealous, that did make us feel uh, really privileged, didn't it? And happy to have yeah. seen such a, a beautiful creature. Did I get this right? That you actually saw another one a few days later? We did see a, another one a few days later. It was it was underneath um, the leaf of a tree. I can't remember what tree. I think it was an apple. I think it was just, no, it was a plum tree. It was sat underneath the leaf of a, of a plum tree. So I don't know if it, it, it naturally feeds on that at all, but it seemed to be uh, enjoying itself uh, in that position anyway. Lovely. And Ella, what, I, I actually went and had to do a little bit of research and find out what the caterpillars eat. What do you reckon they eat? Um, leaves. Well, they do eat leaves. They eat nettles. Do you know what? We saw an awful lot of nettles on our walks around Somerset, didn't we? They yeah. seemed to be absolutely everywhere. Thank you for coming on to share that story. I, I'm still massively jealous, and I think Ella might be the person to go out with if you want to spot Jersey tiger moths. So thanks for coming on. You're welcome. And hope to hear from you again. Thank you very much. One of the things um, that's great about being as young as Ella, uh, or being older and just not having got into nature yet um is that you have these these new experiences uh, much more often you know you just dis- you make these discoveries of these these beautiful creatures and plants uh that you've never seen before but the the great thing with nature is that it's such a massive subject with so many millions of plants and animals here in the uk that even people like uh you know dr gareth and and, and me and pete we see new stuff every week um, all you've got to do is start looking, really. Or you need a bit of guidance sometimes. Our next guest, Wayne, has spent many, many hours helping people to have those great experiences with nature. And uh, here's the chat that Pete and I had with him. Chris and I have been joined by uh, my friend and former colleague, Wayne Prosper. Now, Wayne is an amateur lover of nature. So me, Chris and Wayne have all definitely got that in common. Uh, he's recently switched from a career in conservation and is now on a pathway to becoming a paramedic, which is pretty cool. Uh, and he's got a particular interest in social care and how well-being and nature are connected and how those things all work together. So, Wayne, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Wayne, uh, Pete tells me that you used to work at RSPB Arn, which is a nature reserve down in Dorset on the coast, um, which I've been to, and it's amazing. Um, and that you worked in in the sort of welcome uh, building down there. So you must have met like hundreds and hundreds of people uh, coming to nature reserves for their first time uh, over the years. What sort of things did you say to them? Yeah, I did. I, I used to love it. I used to love working down there. And I used to love interacting with people as well. Um, so for me, primarily, it was welcoming people to the reserve and it's interesting, really, because, you know, people do come to reserves for many different reasons. And, you know, you get your nature lovers, you get your bird watchers, things like that. So it was really a case of, you know, orientating them with the, the reserve, telling them where they can go, what they can see. You'd ask them, you know, what types of what types of animals they like, because Arn's not just birds, you know, they've got the deer and it's got all the uh, the insects and the, and the reptiles down there as well. So really orientation, a nice, lovely, warm welcome and guide them on their way really to make it a lovely special day for them that's great Wayne and did you ever get the sense that if people were coming for the first time might not know much about nature do you ever get the sense they felt maybe a bit underqualified and were looking for you looking to you for advice on on how to how to operate in that environment how to enjoy their day 
I think so. Yeah. So people did have general questions. You get your experts and you get your, your complete amateurs who are turning up there just for a day out with a family. Um, sometimes people just want to go there for a walk. Um, and, you know, depending on what they're talking about, you could guide them in a direction and you could say, oh, well, if you know, if you go down this pathway, you might see some ospreys or if you go down there, you might see some seeker deer and that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, a very much a broad selection of people that would come there. And if anything, really, it was it was very enjoyable to talk to the people that have not really been out to nature before. Sometimes you get children coming in from the city, you know, from London, they'd come in. And they've never seen a cow or anything like that. So you can explain to them. And we had a little nature table there with some feathers and things on there that we could show them. So it was it was very good to really pass on a little bit of basic knowledge. That, that's great. And would you find that people who were less experienced would still have a really good time out there? Oh, absolutely. I don't think you can't have a good time really with nature. There's so much to see. And a lot of it is not just the big things there's a lot of minutiae there as well you know you can you can walk up to a tree you can look at a leaf and you might see that that leaf has little lines inside that leaf and it's you know that could be like a micro moth that lives inside the leaf um these sorts of things that people just wouldn't even think about um the detail you know the the, the red ants on the ground it's a wonderful place um to be and uh, i think sometimes by pointing out those small things to people you're opening them up to all the different aspects of wildlife and it's something that they can carry forwards with them as well certainly good for their well-being so Wayne you've it sounds like you've given uh, a lot of people some uh, some great advice uh, over the years do you follow that advice yourself how, how do you get out into nature I do um, with my my new job I am out and about driving uh, people around in my role but when I have my breaks and the times in between as much as possible I do try to get out in nature uh, we have a lovely garden my wife's a fabulous gardener so quite often I'll be in the garden watching the birds there but sometimes when I'm on the job and I stop for my break I do try and find nature spots where I can just pull over and, and enjoy those views there was a lovely uh, time once where um we were, myself and a colleague, we'd stopped to have our lunch break and we found like this little kind of lane. We went down this little lane and we parked up and uh, we found this wonderful looking lake. Um, and there was a moorhen in there and uh, butterflies were flying across as well. And uh, crazily, my, my, my colleague, she actually spotted a, a kingfisher fly by as well. And so I've actually been to that spot a few times afterwards and uh, just to sort of sit down, open the door, uh, have my lunch and just watch the wildlife. I tend to carry my little monocular with me so I can get a little bit of a close-up view. That's my little piece of heaven. And uh, as much as I can, then I, I try to get to those spaces because I do find it very relaxing. That sounds sounds beautiful. And um, am I right in saying that you're linking your sort of love of nature and the benefits that you see it having to people um, to your to your job and your new career path in some way? Yeah, do you know, I think I am. And it's, 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 it's a really important aspect for me, really, to link the two together, because um, my goal is to one day become a paramedic. So I'm on this pathway to becoming a paramedic. And quite often I'm transporting patients to and from their appointments now. And I get to have these wonderful conversations with people, uh, people that are going through struggle and strife in their life, either physically or, or mentally. And there is certainly a connection, I think, with nature and, and well-being. And even when I was working on the nature reserve, we used to um, talk to people who had disabilities. We had a thing called a tramper there where people could go on this uh, motability scooter around the reserve. And I used to spend a lot of time um, making sure that people were aware of that. 
And uh, there was a lovely story of a lady who came along one day uh, with her husband and her son, and they wanted to go out. And she thought that she would have to spend her time in the cafe whilst the, the husband and the son went out. And of course, she was wheelchair bound. And, um, and, and in fact, her, her husband had difficulty walking as well. But I told them both that actually, do you know what? We've got two trampers, so you can hire one each. And so th that's exactly what they did. They hired two trampers and they went out and had a wonderful day and they came back and it was so emotional. At the end of the day, she came back and she was absolutely in tears of joy. And she came to me and she said, you know, what? thank you so much for telling us about these trampers. We have had the most amazing day. I thought that I was going to spend my time up in the cafe whilst my son was out with my husband. But as it turns out, we were out together and it's absolutely one of the best days I've ever had. Oh, and it just, it absolutely made my day and it just crystallized everything that I thought about how nature can be healing. Linking wild, uh, wildlife and well-being, I think it's very, very important. And I think more people should do it as well. I think people will find it uh, very therapeutic. If anybody ever has an opportunity to go and spend a day on a nature reserve with their family, with any ability, then certainly uh, it's something that should be done. Well, Wayne, you had me welling up there. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's such a lovely story to hear. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, fair play to you for being involved with that. So, well, we've loved chatting with you today. Uh, uh, I feel like people at home hopefully have really enjoyed hearing from you as well. And you may, may have inspired some people to get out into nature. And that's what it's all about, of course. So, Wayne, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed myself. Thanks, Wayne. Well, I wasn't kidding. I really was welling up when Wayne told me about that. I used to go to Arn a lot through work and that sort of thing. And uh, I've seen a lot of people go out on those trampers and it really is amazing to see what difference it can make when people get to go out with their families uh, and enjoy nature. Because uh, uh, as we've said before, before on the show, it's just nature is not just about going out and seeing cool stuff. It's about enjoying it with other people. And that's something you can really do at Arn. Yeah. And in fact, one of the great things about these bigger nature reserves is they they cater really well for all different sorts of people. And and I think like particularly for people with mobility issues who want to get into nature a bit more, I'd really recommend starting out with what with a with a bigger reserve where you've got like flat pathways and you can get around uh, really well and places that have like hides that are more accessible and you can get in and stuff like that. There's low, all the sort of big nature reserves are getting really good at that sort of stuff. And the thing I like about Arn is it's starting to get away from this concept, actually, of being a nature reserve. Because I think that's a very 20th century view of that you put wildlife in this place and that'll be enough to look after it. And we know, we've known for years in science that nature reserves generally don't work because they're all far too small for the things that they've been you know, designated to protect. So Arn it joined up loads of sites that were good for wildlife and it started to look at this landscape scale. We've really got to start thinking about wildlife like this, that wildlife should be integrated into all the, what, the green spaces around us because that's the only way we're going to stop wildlife declining in this country. So as we said at the start of this episode, it's the last episode um, that we're going to do for a little bit. Um, we will be coming back and doing some more, but it's probably a good time for us to just have a quick chat about um, what we've enjoyed doing most uh, Pete, what have been your highlights so far? Well, my highlights, Chris, have both been in this uh, episode as it happens. I've, my background's uh, in fundraising for conservation, as you know, uh, and I know very well 
what a big problem the disconnection of young people and children from nature is to the to our chances of doing anything to to save it so for me having having three young people on uh, this episode all talking in such enthusiastic terms about nature that's my highlight uh, every time I certainly can't argue with that, Pete. It's been great to hear from from some young people, definitely, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from a lot more. Uh, Gareth, what have your highlights been so far? Oh, there's so many. I mean, listen to your dad and his fantastic voice telling us about spiderwebs in episode five. Um, I also really enjoyed um, Jerry telling us about his dad picking up old ladies in episode four as well. <laughs> and when you finally allowed me to talk about plants with Dan in episode, uh, I think that was episode five as well, wasn't it? Um, but actually going back to the first episode with Gemma talking to us about green infrastructure and how we shouldn't just accept the boring green spaces we're often presented with. We should demand more for wildlife and more for us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That seems like a long time ago now. I think that my highlights so far, or the bits that have impacted on me most, um, firstly, I think uh, Pete's uh, chats with Lynn about veganism, that's definitely changed the way I've, I've thought about food for the better, um, just making some choices. And I've definitely made some choices to like not eat so much meat for environmental reasons. So well done, Lynn. You've, uh, yeah, you've changed my mind a bit. And then also, I, I really enjoyed getting out and uh, seeing glowworms for the first time because uh, I've been do I've tried a couple of times in the last few years and been unsuccessful. But it was also really nice to run into some people in the absolute pitch dark um, who were doing the same thing and have a chat to them and get to record that. Yeah, that was really funny, Chris. I loved that. So that season one wrapped up, but the good news is we have commissioned ourselves for season two, which has got lots of exciting stuff. And we've got a few treats in the meantime. Pete, what does that include? So season two is going to start in October, everybody. But before then, we're going to have some mini episodes coming out with some of the uh, the great content that we're getting from uh, the many people who are now contacting us with their stories and experiences, just like we want people to do. So thank you for that. Uh, and excitingly, in season two, we hope to be unveiling a new presenter joining the team. Does that mean one of us is getting sacked? Oh, haven't you told him, Chris? No. Oh no, let's move it over. We'll talk to him in a bit. You have been listening to episode eight of The Call of Nature, and it just leaves me to say thanks uh, a big thanks to everyone that's contributed, uh, supported us, listened to the shows, got in touch, given us feedback um, throughout the whole of, uh, of season one. Um, the whole of season one is available um, uh, to listen to on all of the major podcasting uh, platforms. So if this was your first episode, then you're in luck because there's loads more of this stuff out there. And uh, we will be back in October with, uh, with a new fancy season two. So bye, everyone. <laughs>